on today's podcast, we get to talk about the Backstreet Boys. And yes, I still know the lyrics, but today's guest, I was so excited. I had so many questions and gave a whole lot of compliments and took a ton of notes because her story is incredible. We talk about how she went from the Backstreet Boys to a digital marketing agency for over 150 artists around the world. The parallels between a fan who loves music and most people that consume entrepreneurs content and influencers. The beauty of sea turtles and the gift of switching on the soul light and watching the experience others have in front of you. Creating your big pie in the sky vision of yourself and showing up every day to become that version of yourself. And how to land your dream clients via relationship building marketing tactics. And I think I loved all of it, but the relationship-based marketing tactics, I took notes and I was like, oh, I have more to learn. This is incredible. So we cover all of that with lots of laughs and an incredible guest in today's show. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. Are you ready to ethically scale your business? Good. Because this is the Mind of George podcast where relationships beat algorithms and depth is the only direction when it comes to ethically scaling your business. Each Monday and Friday, I'll be the guy between your ears in the hoodie and pink shoes guiding you home, giving you the tools to extract, honor, and amplify your genius so you can be the light for your customers. Sound fabulous? Cool. Let's get into the episode. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Mind of George show. I am stoked. I am honored. I'm excited to be here. And full disclosure, before I even introduce this guest, I have to tell you why this guest is on the show. We get pitched a lot of podcasts every week. We get a ton of emails and uh, we filter them. But I saw this email in my inbox and I saw the subject line and I told Ashley, I was like, immediately, Whoever it is, I'm a yes, because this subject line wins and the email only got better. And the subject line was something along the lines of like, from Van Girl to CEO of Top Celebrity Social Media Management Forum, working with Backstreet Boys. And I was like, I'm in. I want to talk to this woman. I want to know the story, how she got here. I'm going to sit back and listen because this is going to be a fun ride and pick up nuggets along the way. And so I'm incredibly excited to be friend to be joined by my new friend, Cassie. Cassie, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, no, I love it. I love it. You're uh, you're enjoying the Maui weather right now, so you're in all the sunshine. I I am. I am working from Hawaii this week, and I have nothing to complain about. I love it. I love it. So I'm I am personally like very very excited to hear this story. Uh, because I get inspired hearing people's passions lit up and like pursuing it most of their life and then living in the reality. So like, when did it start? Obviously you liked, you know, Backstreet Boys, full disclosure. I had Backstreet Boys sheets on my bed when I was a kid. Like I have to own that all day. I'm, <laughs> I'm guilty as charged. Um, but like, when did you get this spark as a kid? And then when did you, how did you like, tell us the story of like how this thing came to be. So. My family is not musical at all. They're all like engineers, medical people, and other not creative jobs. And I was on a softball team, and my softball team won the championship when I think I was like around 11. And I'd never been to a concert before. And because we won, we got our gift was a box, which I, I think about this gift now is winning a, like a children's softball league championship. And I'm like, that's a legit like gift. But our gift was going to see the Baxter boys in an arena and box seats. And, you know, I didn't nice. know what that meant at the time I was 11. What a <laughs> gift. I know. I now I'll be like, can I have softball? that? I was like, can I have that gift now? Can I go see a con if I have a whole box for my friends at a concert now as mm -hmm. a gift, but we went and I'd never been to a concert before. And that moment changed my life. I was like, wow. Like, people enjoying a concert and knowing the same songs and being happy and the production and the stage. It was just, it was so, it was magic to me. And I became obsessed with it from that moment on. I first became obsessed with them and figuring out how to be the best fan of theirs. I could be, but that fandom eventually like transferred over to other artists. And I just became a frequent concert goer. And I, you know, got into like, street teaming and putting flyers up on poles and coffee shops and that sort of thing. And I just became a, a, a fan of them and then other people after that. You basically 
got trial by like trial through guerrilla marketing 101 by being the ultimate fan. Yes, and I and I loved it. I, and as I became, you know, you, I think when you start as a fan, a lot of times it's with big, really big, famous artists. But then I started working my way down to you know artists that are developing, and that's those are the ones that actually needed my help more if they're coming to town. The flyers at the coffee shop actually helped them, whereas Backstreet Boys didn't need flyers. But it was cool to find yeah, artists that yeah, actually yeah. needed my help. I loved it. And do you still do? Oh my god, I I already have like a thousand questions. Hold okay. On. So before before we even go. So now let's paint the picture now of like so now what do you do? Obviously you live on the road, you can travel remotely, but you support a lot of artists. I think you own a company. So like what do you do now? So paint the picture of like current day Cassie. So now I own a digital marketing agency and we also do some artist management as well. Um, we have about 50 employees. We do digital marketing for about 130 different music projects. I manage about yeah, five different artists and probably going to sign on and bring on a couple more. And I travel a lot for work. I also like to go work in places like Hawaii when I am able to and don't have any in-person yeah. demands that week but i i love traveling i think my secondary passion probably is traveling and that developed and came from traveling to go see concerts but i i yeah. it, that developed a passion for for traveling in general i i travel now to not go see concerts but i i love i live for travel deals i've been using priceline and hotwire since i was 12 um, I, they're very different than, than they are now. Um, there was one, like you could do the bid they for are. like $30 and get they like are. an amazing yep. room. Yep. I was really good at I knowing remember. like the threshold, um, for Priceline. Cause I had to pay for my way to go to these concerts when I was younger. So I figured out all the tricks on getting the best travel deals ever. And sometimes I feel like I will spend too much time looking for travel deals. I'm like, I could have made more money to pay for what I, you know, the higher price that I spent looking for the mm -hmm. lower price. But there's something, there's a big thrill for me about like a great deal, a great flight. I figured out how to do first class for this amount. Like, it, it, I don't know. There's something really exciting about it. But that you're, became... you're like a hustler. This is hilarious because if you played poker, you'd be like a world champion. I love this. Maybe. I, I do like, I like, I I have never played poker with people, but I really liked it like digitally when I was younger. Oh, I can see it. What you got to see though, is that you got to recognize that like part of your gift is like doing that due diligence to where you wouldn't make the money. Cause it's just like gambling. Because if you look at the grand scheme of things and the scale of it, you're so up against the house. And, yeah. Like that's how you learn the lesson of diving into it. I love it. No, yeah. no wonder why you succeed. You literally have a passion as a kid built around fandom, which makes you then fall in love with travel. And then you basically build a company that supports your entire lifestyle. How can you not win that game? I love this. It's, it's fun. And I, and I love help like sharing both of those gifts with other people. Now I love giving other fan girls and boys and people who are passionate about music, their first job in the music business. I love helping my artists learn how to travel for cheap so that they save money on tour. Um, yeah. it, it's fun to like kind of share what I've learned with, with other, you know, younger people sort of getting into it for the first time. Well, one of the, one of the first questions I have is like, have you ever thought about the parallels between like a fan with like a music and most people that consume entrepreneurs content and influencers? Cause it's kind of like the same thing. I, I see a lot content of content is the music. Yeah, I mean, I see a lot of, you know, parallels with different types of fandoms. And I think I first experienced this when I started working in country music because my first, like, music jobs were actually in country music and I knew nothing about it at the time. And, okay. and I love pop. But I could really relate to how those people were excited about something. And it, it, it kind of became to a point where it, with what I work on, it doesn't really matter if I like it or not, I get more excited about somebody else being excited about it than if mm. I'm excited about it. Um, which oh, I think I is that. important because a lot of, I see a lot of people get into the music business and they don't work out because they can't get excited about 
things that they're not excited about. And where I actually, yeah. I, I'm like, I, for, this is so like basic, but one of the things I love about Hawaii is I love sea turtles. I think they're like mm-hmm. the coolest thing ever. And I'm really excited when I'm my seat, my, my seat, my, my CEO is going to love you, Ashley. She will listen to this. She is going to open a turtle sanctuary as a part of her retirement when we're done. And so you two are going to get along great. Oh my God. I love that. But you know, so the turtles thing is really cool, but what's even cooler than me seeing a turtle is watching like a kid on the beach, see a turtle for the yep. first time. Like that's yep. so cool to me. And I, yep. there's just something about like, seeing somebody experience something really exciting it's more exciting for me to watch somebody else do it most of the time than for me to actually feel the same way if that makes any it's, sense it's at all. i i 1000 get you it is the only reason i do what i do for a living it's on the podcast it's for the dms like when i do my events i tell everybody and i coach and i consult and i do all of it in person and they're like why And I was like, because the moment you get it, you have this switch that turns on and it's the soul switch. And it's not because I'm having an experience. It's because you're having an experience without me and you get it. And like, I live for that moment. Like that is why I wake up every single day and do what I do. So I 1000% understand to the bone, everything that you're talking about. That's awesome. Yeah. That's like my, my favorite thing. It's my favorite thing. And the only reason I was thinking it is because I would love to hear from you, like some of like the biggest things you've learned in the music industry of like how fans can start supporting artists and building relationships. Because for me, I'm already listening to you. And I was like reading your notes and doing my research. I'm like listening to you right now through the lens of like how even some of the things you shared today or alluded you're going to share apply directly to teaching people how to do internet marketing in the lens of like any other industry besides music. So I'd love to hear like, what are some of like the biggest things that you've learned that you were alluding to earlier that you'd like to teach? There's a lot of things. I think something that big fans do that is can kind of be a mistake is almost be too passionate about their artists in a public way. Like sometimes I think people get turned off from different artists or other brands or even I think it applies anywhere. It can be a sports team, a podcast, whatever. But when sometimes people are almost scared to like a new brand, because it seems too intense or they're or the the club is too far along and they can't join it so it's figuring out so if you really want to support a brand an artist or anything it's how do you show your passion but not scare people off <laughs> let, a, let me just call let me let me just call it what it is without being a stalker yes one thousand percent without being a stalker so i'm gonna i'm gonna say this and i don't talk about this often but like when I started as an entrepreneur, because I want to talk about this with you, because I think this is such a valid point and there's so much value in what we're going to talk about around what you shared. When I was a food blogger, I just posted recipes on the internet. It just so happened that I became a 22-week New York Times bestseller and I had you know 5 million people a month on my website. But for me, I just posted food on the internet, right? Like that's it, right? And I, of course, I shared my feelings. I did all that. But I'll never forget when I went to Disney with my family in Florida. And on the first day, I was stopped like 21 times. Now, mind you, I'm a paleo food blogger. So my entire audience is a Disney mom, right? Like I'm basically walking into the lion's den. (laughs) Yeah. But there were quite a few people that ended up approaching me that I would have never known that they knew me. And I didn't know that they knew me until after we were done that day. And I put the pieces together online. And then there were quite a few people that came up to me. And I was just like, I don't ever want to speak to you again. I don't ever want you to DM me again. And that's happened in my life. And a lot of my friends are massive celebrities or influencers or very influential people. And I watch it happen around them all the time. And so I think this is such an important part of like what makes somebody like a stage nine clinger stalker versus like what is supportive. So I'd love to hear your thoughts about that. Yeah, that's um, it's tough because the line can be really, really thin and it's yep. it's not that you don't ever I think that I was almost scared of crossing that line. And at the beginning of starting my career in music, I was actually scared to tell people I was a fan of the Backstreet Boys and other talent I love because I didn't want to come off as like the bad version of that. So I almost like omitted that and which was a bad yeah. move, but I was scared of and people told me to not share that because I, they wanted me to avoid coming off that way. Um, okay. So, you know, so I think, I think passion is good. 
Um, so a way I think you can support your artists and other brands is to, it's cool to have like a fan account that's like branded around something, but dropping a comment from like a normal person's account is actually, I think goes a longer way in terms of making that artist and brand look more normal instead of like mm-hmm. it being like, you know, I always, it can be a blessing and a curse when you look at like an artist comment section and it's like all the comments are pictures are from yep. pictures of them. And sometimes it can yep. actually be more helpful to the artist to have comments from a person that looks like a person because that makes the fan base look a little less intimidating. Yeah. Um, and I want to, I want to, can I, can I highlight a parallel real quick as you're yes. saying this? Cause this is such a valid point. Um, what she's talking about to summarize is like when an artist posts, if you go look at the comment section underneath, you'll see all these comments of people loving it, but the comments aren't from human beings. They're from like fan pages or pages dedicated. So they're all photos. So the artist is just seeing basically a ton of spam of their own face with other words and comments. Right. And so what she's talking about is personalizing it. But when you think about social media in general, the same thing applies when you are engaging with influencers, right? Like I see companies try to approach influencers and instead of having the CEO or the CMO's personal Instagram go engage, they'll use the company's account. And I'm like, buddy, they know the company's yours when it says in your profile, you're the CEO of the company. Which one do you think carries more weight? Your social media manager leaving a comment on said influencers post or the CEO of the company trying to get their attention? And so for everybody listening to this, you know, when you're approaching influencers, when you're approaching brands, when you're engaging, you also have to understand that you have to be willing to invest in the success of the relationship at a depth relative to the relationship. And so if you're trying to go after somebody that's like the CEO or a big deal, like don't put it on your social media manager. That's something personal for you to handle. And so also make sure that you're aware you can humanize it, but that you're investing in. So I wanted to add that because I heard it. So I'm sorry I, I interrupted you, but it was such a valid point. No, that's a really good, really good point. And a lot of times if there's a artist or a person that I want to connect with, I'll make sure to message them from my Instagram account versus an email well, or something else because that it just gives more context instantly. I, w- I was going to share this earlier, but I'm going to tell you a story and I think you're going to appreciate this. And this is probably why I fucking loved your email so much. <laughs> I now am really good friends with very, very either famous or good musicians, but all of them started on Instagram. Like for example, my dear friend, Will Evans, who makes incredible music, speaks to my soul, tours of sat saying like right up my neck of like what I listened to. And I was a big fan. And I happened to just tag him on Instagram doing my meditation and my stillness to his music. Right. And then he responded. And once he responded, I was like, oh, door open time to build a relationship. And I just wanted to build relationships. I loved his music. So when he messaged me, I would just tell him what they meant to me and what I felt the words meant. And he opened up and I was like, dude, I would love to interview you on my podcast. And he said, yes. And then we became like really good friends and we talk all the time. And I was like, it's just because, you know, you're willing to humanize that relationship and you're willing to put yourself out there. You know, it goes a long way. And so I wanted to say that because like when you're speaking about it, I kind of chuckle, you know, because I think about all the moments in my life, like you were alluding to earlier, where I felt like I wanted to say something to somebody or I felt like I wanted to build a relationship, but other people told me I shouldn't, right? They're like, oh, you shouldn't say that. Like for me, in what I do, like I consult at the highest level of the game, right? Like Fortune 50, 100, 500 companies, and they'll invite me to business dinners and they'll try to shame me because I won't put a suit on. And I'm like, that's not me. If you didn't want me here, you know I don't wear suits. Don't invite me, but I'm not going to like put a suit on to appease you. And I think about that stuff all the time because... I think, you know, one of the questions I was going to ask you earlier, and I'm going to totally throw a tangent on us, but I think, and I would assume that one of the things that probably differentiates you so much is the breadth of investment that you had in relationships with people in the industry that you're in, irregardless of the business. And it makes you stand out against every other person who does what you do that's just in it for the money or representing the artist. Like, is that, has that been your experience? Yeah. One of the main pieces of advice I give to people I'm mentoring or, you know, talk to different people about is what one thing I did that I thought everyone did, but I realized that nobody was doing is (laughs) when I was younger, I would go to New York and I would just go see everyone that I never met before that I talked to on email. And I didn't have an agenda. I wasn't trying to sell anything. I literally just, I wanted to meet the person that I work with. That's that's all it is. And I think sometimes people don't respond to me because they think I'm trying to sell something, but I'm literally just like, Hey, 
you know, or like right now I'm, I'm, I'm doing the same thing. I, I, if I'm in LA, I'm trying to see several yep. people a week. Um, I, when I went to, um, I, I, when, when I travel, sometimes I'll even like post on my LinkedIn. I'm gonna be like, I'm going to be in these cities. If there's anybody that follows yep. me on LinkedIn, that's going to be there. I would love to, you know, meet somebody local in this market who works in social or music or that sort of thing. But I just, I just want to meet people. And sometimes that leads to work. Sometimes it doesn't, but that's not like why I'm setting up the meeting. I just want to connect have you, with people. Have, have you ever read the book, The Go-Giver by Bob Berg and David Mann? No, but it sounds like something I would like from the title. So you and I are probably related, right? <laughs> so like I trademarked the phrase relationships beat algorithms, right? That's my whole movement. Right? Yeah. It's everything you're talking about. And it's so funny because I've had so many friends on my podcast and we talk about why they didn't build a relationship with me. And they're like, the hardest part was trusting you because we just couldn't believe there was no agenda. And eventually we realized there was no agenda. And I was like, no, the agenda is just connecting and being a human and adding value. And if it turns into something, you'll ask. But I love that about you. I think it's incredible. I think it's awesome. But I think you would love that book. Yeah, it sounds great. But it's I, I still do it. Like like whenever I'm traveling, even if it's personal, I, I, I really think about like, who can I see? I, I, w- I remember I went to yeah. Boston recently. And that's not like a music industry hub. But there are still people there's some a booking agent I'd worked with for years I never met there was a advertising agency I'd worked for for years that never met and then I met some people at some of the local schools there and it's uh it's cool because those were important people to meet but they probably don't get as many meetings as like people live in New York or LA but and I and I get a lot out of it too it's not just like it's mutual I I learned a lot I think about like what it's like to work in music and not the main city centers and it's interesting for me too, but I literally just wanted to meet them because I was there. There was, there's really no bigger thought than that. No, I thought I I'm, I'm just like nodding over here because I'm like, I get you 1000%. Like what, like I only teach people now how I built my business because I built my business by accident, by literally living how you live. Right. And then in, in retroflection and now, you know, in hindsight, 20 years later and reading what I've read, I'm like, oh, there's a way to do this. You know, it's called being a decent human, but you can also do it different ways. Right. (laughs) And, um, you know, my famous joke is I don't, I can't believe I get paid as much money as I do to remind people to be decent human beings. And it's, it's really, you know, at the core of it. And I hear it. I, I I actually like, of course your business is going to succeed. Of course you are. Like I hear it in everything that you answer, like you embody what you say. It's kind of, it's, it's really fucking refreshing, to be honest with you. So I'm kind of stoked that we connected today. Skrr. Break check. Let me take a moment to interrupt myself. I don't run ads on my own podcast, but sometimes I forget that I can tell you about things on my own show. So I'm interrupting for a very important announcement, which is the Lighthouse Business Accelerator. Because it is event time. And as a fellow entrepreneur and business owner, you know how important it is to attend live events, especially ours, with the world's most intense Rock, Paper, Scissors Championship with the best prizes. But that's why I'm thrilled to invite you to our event that will transform your business and catapult your personal growth as a leader in the industry. And if you do not believe me, I swear to God, just go to mindofgeorge.com slash event. I will not tell you. The people on the page will tell you. Their videos will tell you. But the event is getting ready to happen November 16th through 19th in Whitefish, Montana, my beautiful home at the Grouse Mountain Lodge. We have a new event location. So down and dirty. It is a three-day event with an optional four, and everybody takes the fourth. They're just limited spots, but you'll find out more about those. Who's going to be speaking? Luckily for you, the best my dear friend Mo Ismail and my myself will be co-curating. He'll be speaking, and he is literally the best in the world at short-form content. It is mind-blowing. When he speaks, everybody writes notes and listens. My dear friend John Wellborn, who is just a wealth of walking wisdom and knowledge. He was a NFL player for 10 years. He studied stoicism. He has degrees in rhetoric and from all these different places. And I learned so much. And then I have a special surprise up my sleeve, but I'll keep that with you there. So at our event, it's all about community. It's all about relationships. And our goal isn't just for you to walk away with clarity, which you will, mastery and understanding of customer journey, which you will, but also feeling recharged and on fire, ready to go into the world, knowing you have community and support. And so whether you're just starting out, totally fine. We have about half the room of that. 
running a seven-figure business, totally fine. We have you. Eight-figure business, we got you. And we have had billionaires in the room. And we focus on principles and communities. And everybody learns from each other. Everybody benefits from each other. And everybody wins. And so I can't wait for you to be one of the 75 entrepreneurs in the room in that next experience with your bucket full. So I'm going to let you get back to the content. But I'm going to tell you, I cannot wait to hug you and high five you in Montana. So come be ready to be with 75 entrepreneurs that are all hungry for growth and networking and supporting. And of course, the world's most competitive rock, paper, scissors championship. So I'm going to let you get back to the content. But irregardless, right now, it's time to go to mindofgeorge.com slash event. Check it out. And we will see you November 16th through 19th in Whitefish, Montana. I only teach people now how I built my business because I built my business by accident by literally living how you live, right? And then in in retroflection and now, you know, in hindsight, 20 years later and reading what I've read, I'm like, oh, there's a way to do this. You know, it's called being a decent human, but yes. you can also do it different ways, <laughs> right? And, um, you know, my famous joke is I, don't, I can't believe I get paid as much money as I do to remind people to be decent human beings. And it's, it's really, you know, at the core of it. And I hear it. I, I, I actually like, of course, your business is going to succeed. Of course you are. Like I hear it in everything that you answer. Like you embody what you say. It's kind of, it's, it's really fucking refreshing to be honest with you. So I'm kind of stoked that we connected today. Yeah. Awesome. No. And I, I, I bet that everyone that's hiring you as a consultant is getting a lot out of it. Cause I think sometimes people just think that there's like for example, there's somebody that started working with me about a year ago who switched companies because they wanted to learn more about marketing and yep. they still haven't really jumped in on marketing. And I was like, why? And they're like, you know, I just feel like I haven't learned a lot. And I'm like, sometimes it's, there isn't, there isn't like a magic button where you know how to nope. do something all of a sudden. You just gotta like, you just gotta jump in and start throwing out ideas, but it's kind of the, the same thing. I think a lot of times executives think that there's more to something than there is and it's and there is and it's actually just really simple sometimes it's just yeah good intention and yeah adding value is really all it comes down yeah to. yeah i mean in most people it's a trauma response right it's a we live in a you know you and i live in the marketing bucket and in that bucket there are 99 percent sharks right to the one percent of like whales that are like i'll you know i'll snuggle with you or I'll, I'll float with you right so the guard the guard is up and and actually that leads me to an important question because i think this is something that you're pretty passionate about and you you help with and probably something that's very prevalent in your industry given the creative nature which is imposter syndrome right and this is something that i've dealt with a ton you have this as a highlight of something that you talk about and i i imagine that the the level of imposter syndrome in the creative bucket of music and artistry is is probably higher if not close to entrepreneurship and so i'd love to kind of hear your thoughts of like you know how you navigate that like how you went from being a fangirl to to building connections and relationships and getting your foot in the door like it's it's applaudable it's it's incredible but i'd kind of love to hear your thoughts on all of it i i feel like i still i feel like everyone to a certain degree feels imposter syndrome and I understand the downfalls of that, that it can be paralyzing and hold people back. But I've been focusing on sort of reshaping how I process that feeling. That Love feeling it. means that whatever you're dealing with at that moment means that you care about it is what it really comes down yes. to. Like it, it matters to you. And just because it yep. matters to you doesn't mean that you don't deserve to be there or aren't valuable. It just means that you matter. It matters a good reframe. Be because I think we get, you know, I'm like, oh, I can't believe I'm. I remember like sitting in my first board meeting at Warner. I was like, wow, I'm 19 years yep. old and I'm at the big table where they talk about all the records this week. I had to fill in for my boss because she was out. And at that time, there was only two digital people. So the temp went when the VP couldn't, which I think is hilarious. And so, I, you know, that was surreal to me. But you know, I think I was kind of nervous about it, but I was like, one, this is, you know, you're nervous about it because it's important to you. So as much as you want to run from this, you're scared. You, you have to know why you're scared. Are you scared because you shouldn't yep. be there or because it, you care about it? And most of the time I think yep. it's because you care about it. And like, I'm he I, I, I care about it. And if I care about it, then there's no reason why I shouldn't be here. Even if I'm younger, you know, even if I'm younger. And it was funny. I talked to people about that now being in that meeting is like kind of a 
younger person with way less executive experience than everyone else. And they're like, everyone was scared to argue with you because one, we didn't know your field that well. And two, like nobody wants to be like the asshole arguing with a 19 year old girl. So it ended up working out really well for me. But I think people were just impressed that I was, you know, they could probably tell I was visibly nervous, but that I did it anyway. People respect that. You know, if you do something, even though you're kind of scared of it. Yeah, I'd say for me, like imposter syndrome is something that I I can say that I used to deal with, but now I have a relationship with, right? Because I agree with you. For me, uh, I look at it like a check engine light, right? Yeah. And I'm like, if I'm having imposter syndrome, it's my, my built-in diagnostic being like, hey, you might want to role play this out to see if you're confident in kind of what's going on. But it kind of gives me all the information, right? Like, hey, am I scared because I shouldn't be doing this, right? Or am I scared because I've done this before and it's important to me? Or am I really missing something? And then at least in that space, I can go look at previous evidence and be like, well, I've done this. I should be here, right? Or I can get some clarity because I think for me, I've been in a lot of those situations, right? Like I barely made it through high school, uncollege educated, and I consult some of the biggest companies in the world. And they make they want me to sign contracts and legal agreements and they give me options and equity. And that. like I'll walk in these meetings and I'm in a pink hoodie, Timberlands, and black shorts and all these guys in suits. And I'm like, all right, what does that mean? Like, I don't get what an RSU is. Like, what's an option? Like, no, no, no. Just tell me a number. Like, what are you paying me? And they're like, Jesus. And they're like, you can't wear that in here. I'm like, I totally can. I totally can. (laughs) But here's my number one thing. My number one beater of imposter syndrome is just radical honesty. Like, just radical honesty. Because, like, I've gone to give the biggest keynotes of my life. Like, thousands of people. And I'm like petrified. And then I just went on stage and I was like, hey, just before we start, I just want to acknowledge I feel like I'm going to shit my pants. And I'm so petrified to be up here. And the moment I do it, all the imposter syndrome goes away because I'm like, that's that's real. Like it's full truth. And so like that's for me has been like the biggest, biggest one. And and it, it really starts with being honest with myself, right? Like I, I, I think most of the time we know we're qualified right? We're like, we've been here before, right? Like, yeah, maybe it's a different wrapping paper, but it's kind of the same situation, right? But it's still hard. And I I think now I have a relationship with it. And I love your reframe of like, it's not that you don't belong there. It's it's something that that you care about. And because you care, it's, it's trying to get your check engine lights attention and be like, how can I do this better? How can I navigate this differently? I love that. That's amazing. I I love what you said too, about, you know, just being honest because I think a lot of times we get scared because we're scared of somebody seeing something that we're trying to hide. And if you throw it out there, there's nothing to hide at that point. And that takes a lot of the power out of it. Yeah. And there's a collateral benefit too, right? There's a collateral benefit because here's what I've learned. If you like, if you open the Rolodex on my phone, I don't believe I should be in most people's Rolodexes that are in mine, right? Like that's, that's a belief that I I've held inside. Right. And I think for me, I had imposter syndrome of like, when I meet this billionaire or I meet this celebrity or I meet this athlete, we're different beings, we're different humans. And I didn't know how to act. But what I didn't recognize is that the moment I was honest, it leveled the ground and made us both the same human being. And they wanted to build a relationship with me because it wasn't about who they were or their status. It was about me being really honest. And so the collateral benefit <laughs> was that I realized in hindsight, it ended up being the best strategy and tactic and byproduct for relationship building because it didn't matter when I meet the billionaire when I'm like, dude, he's like, how's your morning? I'm like, I feel like a D plus husband and a C minus dad and I'm really struggling. Can we just breathe for two minutes before we have our meeting? And then the billionaire goes from billionaire to dad and then we talk about our kids for an hour and we form a relationship. And so for me, it, it kind of is hilarious because it accidentally had that benefit that I can only see now in, in hindsight. Yeah. Uh, honesty really always wins. Truly. Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. And then, you know what I love too? And I kind of, and I, I'm going to lead you a little bit, but I kind of hear this undertone in um, things that you're saying. So I kind of want to call it out because like in the world of artistry, like no song is ever done until you publish it. Right. Like, in books, the only book that's ever finished is the one that's published, right? And and you even were talking about, like, there is no, like, oh, I figured it out. It's just taking action, right? It's just trying the next thing, right? So how do you hold yourself accountable during the day to, like, taking that action? Like, do you have practices? Do you have rituals? Like, 
how do you make sure that you're taking the swing and you're not getting stuck in like rumination? Because I hear you allude to it a ton. And so it sounds like it's very important to you. So I'd kind of love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, it's action is super important to me. And a lot of times I feel like the thing that you are kind of dragging on is actually probably the most important thing you should do that day. Uh So something Uh I yeah, so something I do a lot when I'm getting overwhelmed and I can see myself stalling on certain things. I redo. I'm really big on how I run my to do list and I try to make my to do list be the most important things and not more than five items if there's something that is like kind of mentally challenging to me for whatever reason. But I reframe my to-do list all the time. I'm like, okay, this can actually move to Thursday. This can go tomorrow. This can go to next week. How do I make it? If it's so, if it's going to take a lot of emotional energy for whatever reason, like if yep. I have to call and fire somebody, that's something that like I'm going to drag when it actually should probably be like the first thing I do that day. So I purposefully make my to-do list really short so that I, it has to be one of the next five things I do or else I will find yep. a reason to push tasks like that that I don't want to do all the time. I love it. I love it. And for everybody listening, I will reference the last like eight podcasts or 20 before this where I reference that in every single one of them. So thank you, uh, you know, Cassie for adding some validity and fire to things that I've said. So for people listening, this is me kicking you in the shins again with some more success and support from the CEO over here doing what she's doing. So I love that. I love, I, I, what I tell everybody is that, um, I know there's no one in my life that can hold me accountable to not failing, but my environment can. And so I kind of operate like you to where like every day I have needle movers that are required for me to do Mm -hmm. foundationally under my business. And then there's a minimum of three that are required every day for my business. And that's my bare minimum. And I'm not allowed to look at the business, talk to the world, talk to my team until all of that's done every day. Yeah. So therefore, no matter how I feel, no matter like what's going on, those get done. And then if I get into the arena and I'm kind of getting my ass kicked, I've already made progress first. And so I've already taken action for the day. So I work very much like kind of like you do. Yeah. It's, I think people drown in too many things to do. So like accomplishing a few things can make a really big difference in terms of starting that momentum if you're having problems with momentum that day. And one of the things I want to call it, you said this too, and I think this is huge. How The analogy I've been using for my clients lately is being a triage nurse, right? Like, and, and you're talking about this right now, like the most powerful position to be in the world in life as a human being is in a place of awareness, right? Same thing as an entrepreneur, same thing as a, a parent. It doesn't matter. When you're present in that moment and you're aware of kind of what's happening in front of you, you have the most information to make an informed, intentional decision, right? And I've been kind of using this triage analogy and I love hearing how you talked about your relationship with your to-do list, right? Cause you're like, Oh, this can move till Thursday. This could be boom. And, and what I, what I tell everybody is like the smaller you can chapter your day down, like the tighter the container, like if it's task at a time or outcome at a time in between those moments, when you can stop at the triage desk and do what you do, that's when you know you're winning the game. And I think for me, one of the reasons I struggled early on, and, and I own a lot of companies now. So my to-do list has like 17,000 items on it right now. And I do like two a week, right? To be really transparent and honest with everybody listening. Um, but but in that, you know, to-do list, you know, we call it like our parking lot. Um, one thing that was very helpful for me, and I don't know if you do this, but it sounds like you do, is I also realized that I needed to increase the measurement window. Because I was making so many things important every day that like weren't important for two weeks or three weeks or until a few other things were done. But because I never paused, like you talked about, I would just hit the list and I would go, 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 go. And I would miss the things that were required. And so I think for me, for everybody listening, one of the things that also helps is when you pause, you can also kind of look at the field ahead of you and not everything has to be done today. Right. And taking action is like taking one more bite. And having patience that like you can put the plate back on the table, no one's going to eat your food, but you can grab another plate and take another bite before you go back to that other one. And so that's kind of my tips on top of what, what uh, Cassie said. So I love that. Yeah, those are I really, really great. And I actually, I remember the first time I went to the emergency room with somebody and I saw triage, I actually like thought about yep. it the same way. I was like, oh, like, how do you prioritize what's coming in and who, what goes where? I, yep. it, I don't know, yep. the hospital, like really yep. i think about it a lot in terms of workflow and managing my workflow i alluded to this on a podcast i did the other day for my solo show and you know when i was a combat medic and combat lifesaver 
you know, one of the things that we're taught is triage because the amount of people that have died because uh, unfortunately this is gory. When you come across somebody that stepped on a bomb and you see their leg missing, it's really easy to notice that their leg is missing and catch that they're not breathing and try to fix their leg before you get to their breathing. But their breathing is the most important thing. And the only reason that happens is because you're having a big emotional response to what's in front of you. So you can't think clearly. Well, in entrepreneurship, it's like 30 years of therapy a day. And no matter which way you slice it, it's a personal game that's going to smack us in the face. And so our goal is to be able to, when it smacks us in the face, hit that pause button and kind of triage the situation, right? Because there's things that you, you have to do in order or be aware of in order for them to be remediated or effective, right? And so it's kind of a big one for me. It's, um, I, I, the longer I've, the longer I do this, um, and I don't know how long you've been in this game, but it's been about 20 years for me, but the longer I do this, the more my own words kind of sting where I realize that consistency is really the only thing that breeds success yes. like over everything else. Right. It's that it's that it's those 10 things that I do every single day, every day, no matter what, that really contribute to my success. And it's, it's really, really funny because the longer I do this, the more I try to find those pockets to get into action like you've been alluding to just so I can take the bite. Because what I was going to say earlier is you're in the lens of marketing, right? You've worked with A-listers, everybody galore. But, you know, in the game of marketing, it's really being a triage nurse. It's assessing what's there, making a diagnosis and running a course of treatment. And then when it is done, looking at what worked or what didn't, taking that information and trying the next one until you either accomplish the goal or remediate the symptom. And so I would love to hear from you, like, what is one of like your favorite A-list, biggest kind of marketing campaigns, one that excites you the most, one of the biggest wins that you've kind of ever worked on? Because I have some follow-up questions after. I feel very fortunate to have been a part of a lot of really big moments. I would say two of my, because they, they're kind of similar, two of my favorite marketing campaigns that I've worked on have been launching both Britney Spears and Backstreet Boys residencies in Vegas. Because, that, mm. that, that you know, it's Vegas has become more common at this point, but especially Britney, she was mm. kind of one of the first artists of that, of her generation, I think the first, it, to kind of go into Vegas in that capacity where it's not like a quote unquote washed up situation and to be a part of launching that and framing it and it being successful was really, really cool. And then to be able to do that for the Baxter boys shortly after was really awesome. But I enjoyed that because it's one, it was doing something new Two, it was doing it for artists that, I have loved my entire life. And three, the the shows just got to be really cool and you got to do different types of marketing that you normally wouldn't get to do because it stays in one place. And that, that just made yep. it interesting to me. But to- I love that. But a pro- to take a product or a show that you know people are going to be excited about, but it's a little different. And how do you yep. reframe that from a marketing standpoint was, it, it was really exciting. I love it. I love, I love hearing you answer. Cause I can hear how you think about marketing and it excites me like a fucking metric shit ton. Cause yeah. like we speak the same language. So I feel like I'm speaking alien with somebody. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so in that, right. Like you kind of came out of nowhere. So like, what are some of your tips or things that you've learned for like helping people like land their dream client or their dream artist, or maybe their dream job or influence or, or connection, or, you know, what are some of the things that you've learned that help you execute these things and make them a success at that level in the lens of relationships. Cause it sounds like that's what you're a master at. Well, well, thank you. Uh, like you said earlier, I think consistency is key in, in all of this, whether you're an entrepreneur or an artist, you have to show up every day. You have to know, you have to have a big picture goal. I think whether you're yeah, yeah entrepreneur, or influencer, whatever it is, you have yep. to know, you know, if you could be the person you wanted to be today, what is that person? And I think that people get lost and get in a hamster wheel and they don't know who that person is. So you have to kind of have your big pie in the sky vision of yourself. And then you have to figure out how to show up every day and try to be that person. A lot of times people ask me who, you know, how do I become a successful artist? And the key is to just wake up every day and be an artist. And I think that if you are, are true to that, if you wake up every day and be an artist and think about, I'm going to make music, 
I'm going to get better at singing. I'm going to think about my image more. I'm going to think about what my stage presence looks more stage presence looks like. I'm going to figure out how to, you know, connect with my fans more. If you wake up and think about that every day, even if it's a brief amount of time, that's being an artist every day and eventually it's going to work, but you just have to show up. And that's what I'm encouraging a lot in my marketing campaigns with artists. Cause I think a lot of yep. them with TikTok, they sort of chase, you start chasing the numbers versus thinking about your brand. And I'm like, let's yep. not think about that trend. That trend doesn't really serve your brand. We have to come back to the brand and if just keep posting every day and eventually a video's going to go viral or eventually it's going to connect with the right person. And sometimes influencing is not about influencing a lot of people, but it's about influencing the one right person. And just, I'm kind of talking people down from numbers. I want to add a, I want to add a point because influence is not linear. Yeah. And that's what people fail to recognize, right? Because what you're really talking about is that influence is done in a system. It's not linear. There's no predictability to it whatsoever. But I want people to understand this. And I'm going to drop a, a, a stat. Litmus did a study in 2017, 2018, about people's behavior with email marketing. And they found that like 51% of people would see a company's post on social, not engage, not comment, but then would go to the company's website and buy the product because it was a reminder of front of mind. Right. And so just because people aren't liking, just because people aren't commenting, the reason this works is because you're consistent and it's not about trying to time virality. It's about giving virality a chance to work because it's not predictable. But if you put content up and you learn from that content and you're like, oh, I could have said this better or I could have made this better and you take it as a win, you just go to the gym and train differently. You can't go back to yesterday and change your workout. But the more you practice that, the, the better it gets. Right. And like I, sometimes I even forget. Right. Like I've recorded probably over 30,000 videos in my career. And my team's like, how can you do videos off the top of your head? And sometimes I forget, like we have five terabytes of footage of me just talking and talking and talking. And I was like, Jesus, I've put in more reps that I annoy myself than I can't even imagine what it sounds like to listen to me on your side. But I, I just want to applaud that because I, I, in, in what you're saying, I think I spent 10 years going to therapy to find that answer of like, well, what does it take to be an entrepreneur or to be an artist? And you nailed it get a general idea of what those behaviors look like in the future a year from now, two years from now, if you had that thing and then start taking action on those behaviors today. And if you take two of them, great tomorrow, take three. But the day that you start taking more actions from that behavior, then you do taking no actions from your thinking about the past or your fear of the future. You're going to win the game. I love what you just said. That was like a fucking mic drop moment. Oh, thank you. And and something you're you brought up, you know, reps at the gym. I think another thing that people really, really get they give up too quickly on is let's say somebody's like, okay, I want to be great at social media. And you go and you Google like best practices. There is no way you can go nope. from zero to best practices. There there's just the, nope. and nope. There, it is it's like building up at the gym. You're not just going to go in and lift the biggest weight in the, in the yep. room for the, like, yep. if you've never done it yep. before, you have to, yep. you know, you have to compare yourself to yourself and figure out, yeah, you know, a, a beginner's plan. I almost want to make this like plan because I feel like it should exist. Like, okay, we're going to start here. We're going to, you know, let, let's see this month you did two posts. That's better than last month. Like as long as you're going in the right direction, it doesn't have to be best practices. You just have to keep going. That's the key. That's the key to building a customer journey. I say it all the time. Like, that's what it is, right? Like, here's the thing. Whether we like it or not, there's no finish line in any path that we choose. There no. might be a chapter marker, but until you die, there's no finish line. So the only thing we're looking for is the next mile marker. Yeah. Because you need to get to that next mile marker to get the information to get to the next one. So what, what she's saying, I'm, I'm going to reiterate. The faster you start, the faster you go up the levels. But it's going to come from a state of being and then the behaviors that follow. And so... It's huge. I, I, it's huge. We're going to have to do another podcast down the road because I, I really enjoyed this conversation. So I've loved um, it. But here's, yeah, no, here's, here's what I want to do. So where's the best place for people to connect with you? I'm mostly on Instagram and LinkedIn and I, right. I actually don't even post that much. I'm more like, again, relationship building. I'm more, I'm more about talking to people behind the scenes. Great. Cause my peeps are going to slide into your DMs. So let's give them your Instagram. Yeah. Handle. So I've just Cassie Petrie, C-A-S-S-I-E-P-E-T-R-E-Y. And I'm same place on LinkedIn, but I just like to, I don't know. I'm more of a one-to-one -one conversation sort of person. 
Me too. I can tell. That's why we. <laughs> that's why we get along. That's I'm. A, I'm. A, when I go on other people's podcasts, like, how do we get a hold of you? I'm like, slide into my DMs. You have my wife's permission. That's my goal. <laughs> Just get in. Send me a DM. Um, you know, this was this was really pleasurable. I I really appreciate listening to you and hearing like the the undertone and the knowledge and the wisdom that you have and like the principles that you operate by because it's it's pretty cool to see it expressed in like an industry like you are and helping people like you are and and hearing the passion behind it it's 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 really really cool so i i just want to thank you for being here and like sharing and and bantering and talking and letting me talk so much awesome no this was great and i i i learned a lot too this is awesome oh i did too i'm like my brain is going like full of ideas right now and i was like oh that and that i was like oh this is good. We're going to have to talk more. So, well, awesome. So everybody listening, make sure you go slide into your DMs, whether it's a thank you, whether it's a takeaway from the show. I'm going to remind you, like I always do, that don't allow this episode to become another piece of shelf help. The thing that you heard, the thing that you thought about, the thing that you wrote down, the thing that triggered your memory, the thing that made you pause, that's the thing that you're supposed to take action on. So take action on it and then celebrate by sending Cassie a DM and letting her know that you did connect, thank Give her some love. Her Instagram is Cassie Petrie. Uh, oh, Pet- did I pronounce it right? Petrie? P- Petrie. You, you nailed it. Petrie. Petrie. Yeah. So C-A-S-S-I-E-P-E-T-R-E-Y on Instagram. You have her permission to slide into her DM. So Cassie, thank you so much for being here. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. You're so welcome. So for everybody listening, that was another episode of the Mind of George Show. So without further ado... I'm going to let you hear that beautiful outro. So remember that relationships will always beat algorithms, especially the one with yourself. So have a beautiful day and we will see you in the next episode. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Mind of George show. Please make sure you subscribe on your favorite channel that you listen to, whether it's in the car, on your run or in front of the television. Make sure you leave a review to help other people know how much you love the show and quite frankly, help me know how much you love the show because I read them all. And if you want five minute daily insider nuggets on business, marketing, leadership, mindset, or any other tool that you would need to build and scale your company, make sure you register for my invite only newsletter. I call it the Lightkeeper Lessons. I hold nothing back here and I share everything that works for me, my friends and mentors, and thousands of my students around the world to thrive in life and keep our lighthouses shining brightly. We will eventually be charging for this, but for now, for you, because you're listening to the podcast, it's free. So if you want to sign up, go to www.lightkeeper.club, fill out the application, and then check your inbox because it's magic. You actually have to open the emails to get the gifts inside. Otherwise, you can get access to my Relationships Beats Algorithms Facebook community and other free resources on the website. So just go to www.mindofgeorge.com and I'll see you in the next episode.